I will be the ghost equivalent of unexpected item in the bagging area. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink wine and discuss feminist literature, pop culture and issues. I am Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's episode of Grape Culture, we're talking about ghosts because guess what? Tis the season to be spooky and we wanted to get into the spirit and we've already done witches and we've already done uh, lesbian necromancers in space. So here we are. (laughs) This is the only logical next step. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's a progression to these things and this time it's ghosts. But before we start talking of all things spirity, we have drinks that are not spirits to talk about. So (laughs) who wants to kick off with their drink of choice? I will. Um, so we have, uh, by we, I mean Sam and I have a wine for tonight. Um, Alex is still not partaking. Um, Sam actually chose this one, but I decided to talk about it just so I feel included. It's the <laughs> 2020 wine of Australia. It's called Moonstruck and it has a very scary face on the front, which you can see on our Instagram. Um, it is a Cabernet Durif, handcrafted with grapes, Gathered in the still of the night, Moonstruck is made for those who like to howl at the moon. Aru. Um, that's does, it. Does it does say it, Aru yeah, or did it, you add that? Did you add no, that? I added that. Okay. okay. <laughs> Just for atmosphere. Just for atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, you can insert sound effect here. Um, yeah, that's it. That's the explanation. It's red wine. It's from Australia. It's from Australia. It's got a scary face on the front. I really love the bottle. Like, it's such Very a mood. excited. Um, right, I will. I will pour away. And while we pour, Alex, what what is yours? So, in a, I suppose in a similar colour, almost. Um, I uh, because we were talking, we're going to be talking about the woman in black as well when we talk about ghosts. Um, I felt that something quite Victorian esque um, might be quite good for my non-alcoholic drink of choice. I also have only ever drunk this drink once in my life and despised it (laughs) and thought tonight's the night to try and decide whether I enjoy it now as an adult. I was a child when I drank it. Hopefully your taste buds have changed. Potentially. Let's see. Otherwise I'm going to be very parched tonight. (laughs) Um, But yes, so I'm drinking the Dandelion and Burdock um, Fentiman's. Uh, which is the kind of old school nice glass bottle. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm going to drink it out of a martini cocktail glass to be fancy. So fancy. It smells like licorice and I hate licorice. Oh dear, you may have made an error. There is elderflower if you get desperate. (laughs) Oh dear. It looks very syrupy. Uh, Best of luck. (laughs) Well, cheers, cheers guys. It's quite sweet. Yeah. Oh, it's quite, um, the more you sip it, the more shirazzy it becomes. Given the, the old, old shirazzle dazzle. Um, medi- it's, a it's a D, medium to full bodied. I don't think this is very full bodied. To me, this is quite light. I wouldn't call it light, but oh, it's got that. It's not buttery, is it? No, but it's got that heavy vanilla headiness to it, like yellow tail. Um, it's similar to that. That's what this is making me think of. Hmm. I've just looked it but up. Lighter. Um, it's got smooth black currant, black pepper, and sweet spice. I can see actually, yeah, I can get on board with all of that. The black Sounds currant, right. definitely. Yeah, def- yeah, yeah. It's like alcoholic vimto. Mine tastes a bit vimtoy as well. <laughs> oh, maybe we've got a decent match. <laughs> How are you uh, getting on with the licorice taste? It is a little bit licoricey. 
it tastes quite medicinal, so it feels quite Victorian. Like so you'd get it from an apothecary. <laughs> yeah, it's far. It's not as gross as I remember it, but I'm not gonna be. It's not gonna be my non-alcoholic drink of choice. Fair enough. Fair. And um, but it's okay. So so far, not uh, glowing recommendations on either front but we'll see how the episode goes on and speaking of things that glow let's talk about ghosts that was hideous let's never do that again um i was actually ooing because i was like "Ooh, nice sidestep oh so we've got an appreciative ooh and a spooky ooh so ghosts then we are talking specifically about female ghosts in literature and pop culture and folklore and all of this so when we say female ghosts what does it make you think of so we were talking a little bit briefly before we started recording and we were saying how female ghosts often aren't referred to by a name Mm. or like an event like sometimes male ghosts are um they are usually just woman in or the woman of or the insert adjective woman yeah there's no kind of personality trait apart from that one thing in which they either died of or appear appear as Um, women defined by appearance imagine such a thing and defined normally like every story you get about a female ghost is they died because of a man did a thing to them or a man broke their heart or there is a baby somewhere and they need to be near the baby so we're thinking alex and i I think both are thinking of um, theatre ghosts, you know, the grey lady, the white lady, the wailing lady. And then you've also got, Sam, I'm sure you've been thinking of this, like, Tudor fake ghosts, where it's like you go to any kind of vaguely Tudor pub and or castle (laughs) and or country manor and they're like, there is a woman who walks through and she has big rustling She was jilted by her lover and threw herself from the roof. And you can hear her wailing and crying for her broken heart. Or she was was accosted by soldiers or she was this or she was the lady of the house and and even when they know who they are, like mm-hmm. they're the lady of the house, and you're like, okay, well, the family has been owned by the same people for this many years, and we know exactly who was the lady of the house during that time period. It's Could great you just aunt say Annie. that it's, yeah. you know, James, Jane Adams, or whatever her fucking name is? But do you not feel like that takes away from the drama? No, because mm. I... The theatricality, which is why they're always in theatres. Ghosts are overdramatic, that's what I mean. They are, they are overdramatic, <laughs> but no, because I think, like, one of the things that I think is appealing about ghost stories and ghost hunting and, and the, the kind of people that go stay in haunted hotels and stuff is you want to know the story behind the thing. You want to know as much about mm. it as possible. True. And you go to these places and they're like, oh, this is old Ned, who was the last person to be hanged in this town and this is where he had his last beer. Oh, old um, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, like, this is Sir Henry Bobblethwaite, who... <laughs> Please write a book. <laughs> that features Ned and Bobblethwaite. Bobble Sir, Sir Henry Bobblethwaite. Had um, an eye know... for the ladies and also for the bottle. But exactly. <laughs> But exactly, see, they, it writes itself. Yeah. But with women, you just get like, she was a lady, and we don't know who who could she be. Or she like, was a oh. widow. That's yeah. what we know. It's the same story, and I think she, it's the yeah. same kind of thing we've talked about with a lot of like strong female characters or heroines in certain kinds of films or novels. I think we talked about it a little bit with the spy stuff. There's mm. always like a backstory that is very typical and formulaic. Mm. That's exactly the word. And I think that's really true of ghosts, and I think part of that is because supposedly we're led to believe that history does not have as much information about women as it did about men mm. <laughs> but i think realistically it's because the people that are running these ghosts 
tours didn't give a fuck yeah and it's I mean, more f- more more easy wow um it's easier <laughs> for them to just be like spooky vague form that kind of looks like a victorian bustle i love that thing where it's like oh look at this strange shape and this conglomeration of lights it looks like it might have tits it must be the lady <laughs> like <laughs> It's it's you're seeing shapes is what you're seeing there you weirdo, and also the thing with when people talk about ghosts they tend to talk about one of the common trains of thought if you like behind the ghost phenomena is is they are something that has been left after a strong emotional impression has been made somewhere mm. and a or an event that has been particularly dramatic or traumatic but it's never there's never any variation it's not like Karen had her identity stolen (laughs) and she was very annoyed like come on give me some more inventive ghosts absolutely I saw a like a meme etc of um oh you never get any like 2000s ghosts like (laughs) stuck in a juicy couture tracksuit for all of eternity (laughs) in their punky zip top yeah (laughs) like absolutely it's so fucking true it's true do you think that there are more stories about male or female ghosts or ghosts of no gender where it's just visions? <laughs> I think in the famous ghost stories that immediately spring to mind, the ghosts are male and the victims of those hauntings are female. I feel like there's more women, but like we spoke about that like are nondescript. I think there's something creepier um or like literature and films and stuff has led us to believe that a strange woman with no identity is somehow scarier Mm. i feel there's more i feel like there's more female ghosts and usually for all the reasons that we spoke about as in they killed themselves due to a jilted relationship or broken heart or whatever it might be so i think it is usually due to men there is men that appear in their stories Mm. but i feel that the ghost themselves is female and it's quite often a violent death at the hands of Mm. men or caused by men Mm -hmm. yeah the unknown is that's a really interesting thing that the Mm. unknown is is creepier because i i'm inclined to agree with you and i think you know we've talked about um in the past for our book club we talked about bird box and how Mm. the big one of the big scary things about that book is the unknowableness of what they're up against. And like, I think you're right. The unknowable of something is actually, for me at least, 10 times more creepy. But then if you go anywhere, do any kind of ghost or anything, they will do acrobatic levels of contortions to be like, Jack the Ripper was here somehow. <laughs> like they will always choose like a flashy figure. And obviously, yes, I know that Jack the Ripper, no one knows who he was, but it's this, the, but the, the But thing. the ghosts are usually his victims. Jack the Ripper himself is just a historical figure. He doesn't haunt somewhere. But I don't. But I don't know that there are any ghost tours that have a victim. But there are always ghost tours that are like, there is a haunting here, and this is maybe where Jack the Ripper lived. Yeah, but that's very specific Whitehall-based. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, ghost I'm, tours. I'm picking on Jack the Ripper. <laughs> if you were in New York and they were like Jack the Ripper, you'd be like, uh, no, I don't believe Holmes, you. Um, th- that's a separate. It will H. H. Holmes is a different person. Well. Or, or is he? <laughs> That's a separate conspiracy theory for a yeah. separate time. But I'm I'm picking on Jack the Ripper as a, a, a historical. Now we're figure. going into mass murderers. Yeah, if I no, had money oh, for I the mean... amount of times you brought up H. H. Holmes on this podcast, I would have like five pounds. Serial killers, not mass murderers. So. I yeah. mean, yeah, I got my. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I got God. my murderers mixed up. Back to ghosts. Back to ghosts. My point is, I'm picking on. I'm picking on Jack the Ripper. Like that was just a name that. <laughs> You're bullying him. <laughs> 
that was just a name that plucked up my head, but like, let's yeah, pick yeah. someone that we know, like Henry VIII. Know him well, yeah. Yeah. Henry D. <laughs> Bersi Chems. <laughs> you know, like, it's always this historical male is here and that somehow makes it creepier because this historical male is like, ooh, spooky. Whereas it's, and then there's generic woman. But when you think of literature, I think one of the most famous ghosts we talked about is Marley's ghost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's the headless horseman. Mm-hmm. Again, generic, but in the course of the story specific. There's ghosts in, uh, but dating back to classical literature with the Odyssey. Uh, You're right. The Odyssey, the Aeneid. The Aeneid um, yeah. Ghosts are a big deal in that. You've got um, Hamlet and Hamlet's dad and Macbeth and Macduff yeah. and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And... Again, theatres. Theatres love ghost. Yeah. And then, you know, right to seminal touchstone pop culture moments of Casper the Friendly Ghost. (laughs) (laughs) An important ghost. Mm -hmm. Very important ghost, but... And Patrick Swayze in, you know, Ghost. Ghost. (laughs) A film I have never watched. (gasps) No, me neither. neither. (gasps) Guys. I thought I I was the only one. My point is, all those references you can think of very specific male ghosts and i think like when i think of female ghosts i can maybe speculate that there was a, the, the woman in white in with collins is a ghost but i've not read it and i think that it's supposed to be a ghost but it isn't actually a ghost and that's it i'm lost i'm done i'm done with my ghosts except um, for what we're going to talk about in a bit yeah i'm all out of ghosts um but i think I'm also so it's i was gonna sing that and then i decided <laughs> not to uh but thank you for continuing my train of thought <laughs> My other point that I was going to make about female ghosts and ghosts in general is that the folklore, whatever you want to call it, around female ghosts is often a lot more passive. So it's just kind of, they just sort of waft about. Those are the main (laughs) stories, aren't they? It's never like, you know, the grey lady came in and knocked all the papers off my Mm. desk. Whereas sometimes the ones that are perceived to be, or you know, the stories that they are male ghosts seem to cause a bit more mischief mm. uh, or even beyond that sort of malevolent intent violence yeah yeah yes in western yeah lore. okay we are yeah we are yeah we are talking caveat, we are talking very heavily from our experiences of m- predominantly western law because i think that it's fair. western law yeah <laughs> i think it's fair to say that um I, I believe it's in japanese culture there is a huge uh ghost subculture mm-hmm. um in which female ghosts are actually very integral and quite malevolent sometimes or at least very action based so yeah so we're mostly talking about western culture and with the western folklore that we are familiar with and literature that we have um come across and more specifically we'll be talking about um what we think is probably the flagship female ghost Mm -hmm. which is the woman in black originally a book by susan hill that has since been turned into a film starring daniel radcliffe that was a choice wasn't it it was a choice choice. and um a incredibly successful and popular stage show and also possibly a radio play but we we don't know about that before we get into the discussion, um, Sam, would you like to give us a brief overview of the plot of the original book by Susan Hill, which was released some point in the 1980s? Uh, sure. So Arthur Kipps, I think his name is, is an old retired lawyer. He sat around the fa- fireside with his family at Christmas and they're all telling ghost stories, trying to be like, ooh, one up you. And it's all very Victorian. And oh, <laughs> Papa, shall we tell parlour tales and try and make the children terrified? <laughs> um, and then he gets all weird and is like, no, I cannot tell my story and goes out onto the moors and then comes back. 
And then, <laughs> and then it's like, I have a tale to tell, but it is so true and so spine chilling that I cannot. But then he proceeds to tell it anyway. So get over yourself, Arthur. Uh, and then he tells a story of when he was a young, um, newly qualified lawyer. He was contracted by his employer to go to the house of a Mrs. Alice Drablow, who lived at Eelmarsh House in the unspecific fens of somewhere. <laughs> and this house was off the coast on like off a causeway that was only accessible over at certain times of the day because of the tides and everyone at the village that he goes to where the funeral is being held for this woman is very cagey and doesn't really want to talk about her and avoids him and he's like mm, this is weird but you know old ladies be crazy so you know little like, casual bit of ageism and sexism built into this assumption but it was 190 something so standard but then he goes to the house well no he goes to the funeral he sees this wasted young woman by wasted i mean withered away not just smashed <laughs> standing at the back of the church dressed all in black with a veil and then he says something to the, the person who's with him he's like oh who's that who's that young woman who is so uh clearly so distraught and and the guy turns white and he's like i didn't see anyone what the fuck are you talking about and he just assumes it's local superstition or that there's you know prejudice against this woman who is very ill and then uh he goes to the house the woman's there again but he kind of gets she stood by a gravestone and he's like oh okay this isn't right and then he goes to follow her and she disappears and it becomes clear over the course of the plot that this is not a real woman this is a ghost who again through various plot developments it becomes clear that she is the sister of the mrs drablo who's the woman who's there to carry out the affairs for after her death and she this sister who is the ghost whose name i've forgotten Sorry, Lady Ghost. We're considering who made the point about Lady Ghost not having an identity. This well, that proves the point anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just remember Alice Drablo because it's a really <laughs> stupid name. She had a, an illegitimate child. Her sister adopted the child. The child was coming back in a pony and trap across the causeway that I mentioned and drowned after some fog rolled in off the sea and the trap pony and trap lost its way, drowned in the marshes. Alice Drablo's sister never forgave her, contracted a wasting illness died and has haunted her sister ever since and every time someone in the village sees this ghost a child dies Mm -hmm. so Mm. that is why they never want to talk about it and never want to acknowledge that it's there because they can't accept that they've seen it uh and then arthur kipps does the like takes care of the things he needs to take care of the house nearly dying in the process nearly killing a dog well the dog nearly dies it's not his fault because the dog falls in the marsh and then goes back to his normal life tries to forget the haunting has gets married has a child and then on a sunny day in a london park the woman in black shows up because apparently this ghost has an oyster card um, <laughs> <laughs> appears to arthur and uh, both his wife and child die in a in a crash horrific horrific carriage accident exactly that is the summary of the woman in black the novel but i know that the stage show mm. is a bit different because different. the framing it's really different is different mm. um, and the movie again is different not too different. yeah the movie is quite close actually mm-hmm. uh, more more so than the stage version definitely mm. so the stage version is a similar tale aside from the person that is um narrating the story is is the person that wants to tell it in a in a stage show. So it's essentially a play within a play. So it is a what you assume is a two-hander between two men, one of which has hired this actor 
to tell his story. The person who hires the actor becomes increasingly frustrated that the actor isn't taking it seriously, despite him saying this is definitely a true story. Scenes are kind of unfolding, you're not sure kind of which play within a play happens, and over the course of the play as well we see the woman in black. She appears in various, you know, like through the audience, terrifying, and there's various kind of theatrical tricks, like a... Um, gauze. A lover gauze, yes. So there's like a gauze um, that kind of hides a few things. There's lots of doors that open and close. There's a rocking chair that kind of rocks, appears rock to rock chair. by itself, which is terrifying. And yes, the woman in black appears various times. One of which, so one of the actors acknowledges the woman in black. The other is still directing this story and um, just assumes that the other actor is just acting very well. Mm. Um, and then towards the end, the actor turns to essentially the director, the story writer, and says, ah, oh, and who did you get to play yeah. the woman in black? And he said, what do you mean? There was no woman playing the woman in black. When you're watching it in the <gasps> theatre, you're like, dun, dun, dun! <laughs> and very traditionally, um, the woman in black, the actor who plays the woman in black, is never mentioned in the programme. So you're left as an audience member not quite sure if actually you have seen the woman in black or a ghost. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Oh, I, just, I relived yeah. both the book and the stage show whilst you were both talking there. And... It really did really hammer at home for me how how excellent mm. both they are. And then we move on to the film, which is, <laughs> which um, is another <laughs> kettle of fish. Which, yeah, is another kettle of fish. So this was uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, D-Red. Attempting, I guess, to break type and be a serious grown-up. Well, no, so he tried to do that in Equus by showing Yeah, but there's, that's, the, that's the two paths to being a grown-up, mm. is do a horror film or show you... Nether regions. Show your knob. Yeah. I can uh, see your wand, Harry Potter. Twas a choice. I I think that he's maligned more than maybe is fair because I think that he does a... If he wasn't Daniel Radcliffe, he'd be fine in the role. But because he is yeah. Daniel Radcliffe, you're like, what are you doing? But I also he don't he think sounds like someone... a boy. He just His voice sounds mm. like a boy. I also don't feel that if you had cast anyone else in that role, I don't know if that movie would have been any better than it no, was. No, I, th- I think that's yeah. kind of my point. Is like, it's it's slightly worse because it's Daniel Radcliffe and that really takes you out out with the feeling and um, there's, a, there's a real feel that it should be like an unknown actor. But the film itself was trying to do... is So basically the film is very close to the original plot of the novel with a bit more Fleshing. showy drama to it. <laughs> A heavy reliance on CGI, which in a novel so based in like the world and and the the, the fog is is almost a character. There was the no novel. need for there to be that much CGI. Yeah, that's mm. quite a lot of CGI. And the really the only major significant um, change in the film is spoiler alert the ending, which is that rather than. Arthur Kipps living on into old age and, and telling this story by a fireside. It's someone else telling this story by a fireside, basically, because during the course of the novel, Arthur Kipps is already married with a young son and he's doing this this trip to this remote place in order to make a bit of money, basically. Mm. And his, wife's di- his wife died. His wife has already died. His wife has died in childbirth. And he is 
meeting his son at a train station very soon after the close of this business sees the woman in black at the train station realizes that shit's about to happen the ki the kid is playing with some kind of victorian toy uh that falls onto the tracks and the kid being an idiot runs onto the mm -hmm. tracks to play it and the uh, the boy like the boy daniel radcliffe jumps <laughs> onto the track to be with his son at the moment of death basically i forgot that was what happened yeah yeah and it is mm. Very Daniel Radcliffe, very good at dying at train stations. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's very emotional, but it's very dramatic. Yes. Like it's it's um melodramatic is the word. In a yeah. way that I think that the woman in black the novel is is more subtly dramatic, personally. But yeah, so that's the major difference between the film and the book. If you're deciding between spending an hour and a half to two hours watching the film. Or an hour and a half to two hours reading the first two thirds of the book. It took me two hours. Yeah, two hundred pages. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm allowing for other people's reading speeds. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> read the Sorry. book. Read the book because you won't even realise that it's been. Or watch the play. Yeah, or mm. watch the play, if you which can is get about two hours as well. That's weird to be across so many different mediums. But it is amazing. Yeah. The same yeah. So that's that's a brief summary across all three mediums and. The reason that we wanted to talk about The Woman in Black, as we said, is because it is one of the most famous and because it seems to have transcended medium. I, as I said earlier, I think it's also a radio play. Mm. It is one of the most famous ones. We've all had an experience with it in one way or another. I've actually read the book, seen the play and I think we all seen have. Yeah, I, think yeah, we all have. I was going to say, I thought we all had, but I wasn't 100% sure. And it is one of these things that keeps endearing and it feels like it's been... Um, a work of art longer than it has because as i mentioned the book was only published i think for the first time in, in and around the 80s so what do we think makes it such a um transcendent 83 1983 there we go what do we think makes it such a transcendent and long-lasting story i think it plays on a lot of i don't know it manages to be eerie in a very real way there's no well gonna say there's no melodramatic clanking of chains there in a way there is with the rocking chair in that mm -hmm. you hear there's a nursery in in alice Drablo's house eel marsh house arthur kipps hears this rocking and in the stage show you see this chair rocking with no one in it and then you see it rocking with the woman in black in it and you're like fuck me mm -hmm. uh, and you also <laughs> see it in the nursery being trashed in the in the movie and um and in the stage show and the and the pony and trap noise as well and the pony mm. and trap noise so there are Noise is an element, but it feels like something you would hear. Like it's like a house creak. It's a, mm. it's not. You hear chains chains clanking. You're like that's not. That's it's, not a normal yeah. noise. Yeah, it's the stuff that kind of adds to your imagination rather than the showing of the. Yeah. You know, so many horror films today are like so much CGI mm. and like. Blood you and know, gore yeah, and... gore and everything's extreme because they're like, how can we make it more extreme? Because audiences are so used to like CGI and everything being so real, and actually just the subtlety of hearing a chair rock yeah. mm -hmm. is sometimes the creepiest shit ever. And it mm -hmm. plays on the idea of the thing at the corner of your eye, like a door mm. being opened when a door wasn't open before, or a sh the woman in black, by the fact she is clad always in black and you don't even see her face she has a veil on you know very shadowy and it's not here's a big scary clown it's here's something mm. that you question yourself that you might have mm -hmm. seen and it it's it has a subtlety like you said earlier about the, the novel that potentially other horror stories and ghost stories mm -hmm. don't have 
And everyone loves that, like, you know, sitting around a campfire, like the yeah. fact that the book like starts in that kind of traditional sitting around the campfire, yeah. telling ghost stories. Yeah. How do we scare the shit out of each other? Mm-hmm. And it's just the kind of traditional storytelling mm. rather than extreme. And I think maybe that's why the film falls down out of all the narratives. And I'd love to hear the radio play, actually, because I'm sure it's I, awesome. I might have made that up, but I'm 90% sure there is one. But I'm sure as a radio play, it would be really cool. But because there's, there's not one so much it. to do with like the audio and the building of suspension through suspension tension <laughs> the suspension suspense and tension. suspense and tension <laughs> <laughs> you knew what i meant yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just go for the portmanteau it saves time <laughs> saves time um but building that through just kind of like sound effects and storytelling mm-hmm. um and i think that's also why so choosing to tell the story over a campfire in the novel and then choosing the kind of play within a play someone telling the story as if it's a true Mm, story within the play there's something really creepy about Mm -hmm. that and far more than i think with the film because it's like it's happening in real time Mm -hmm. and you're like i don't quite believe this Mm -hmm. whereas if it's someone that's still alive telling you this happened you're like you can believe it i think that's so true like the the grounding Mm. in reality and the first-hand account of it, because, like you say, watching it as a film, it doesn't set it apart from any other film that you've ever yeah. watched. And every other film that you've ever watched is fiction, even when it's not fiction, even if it's based on a true story, it's fiction, and you you don't get any sense of it being told by someone that you know and have come to know. Whereas mm. the, the difference with the book and the stage play is, it's, like you said, Alex, it's being told by someone that you know in the real world. So to some extent you know the ending Mm. but you also don't know how they get to that point Mm. so it makes it all that more real because it's not going to be this fantastical thing where uh like poltergeist or something where people are being thrown all all across the world it's it's going to be something that is survivable Mm. and i think that for me that's one of the things about the the book itself as well is and i think you both touched on it's it's very real world Everything that happens, all the haunting that happens, is so just barely touchable. So the woman in black herself is wearing, is is so believable as a person that she could be a person. She's not someone two hundred years prior to the time being time wearing completely <laughs> alien. Swanning around in pantaloons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. She is wearing morning garb appropriate to the era but slightly out of date as as would befit someone who has maybe come down in the world but has the same morning garb that she's yeah. been wearing for 30 years the deaths that happen that sammy mentioned of the children that happen and that happen during the course of the novel and the film are both horrible and tragic but also arguably just shit that happens to kids at a time mm. of very dangerous a very things. high infant mortality rates yeah and, like yeah in the same way that we lock up all our cleaning products from children because we don't want them to ingest them like that's one of the things that happens in the film mm. is that they yeah, ingest yeah. soap like basically and die it's a cheery film it's it really super is. fun <laughs> just like super really jazz. like happy family watching but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so believable and it is and it really really taps into this very human thing of is it otherworldly is it fate is it god is it a haunting or is it just shitty bad shitty luck that is yeah i think exactly what you touched on there with the, with the way that they show the deaths of children on on the film is that somehow it makes it less real because mm. it's very nebulously referred to in the stage show in the book whereas in the, with the 
this open various other things that mm. happen without going into too much detail you're kind of left going a bit like oh Mm, I don't know if, yeah. I, if you found that when you were just like it's too it's too the it's point too gratuitous made, the point is made too clearly yeah so here's a question would it be as scary if it was a male ghost genuinely mm. don't think That's... so and here is my reason why okay and I think that this is I I recognise this is a very archaic way of seeing things but it is also what I think makes a lot of stories important around deaths of children and women being involved is the fact that the ghost is a woman who is killing children is a direct contrast to an uh, an accepted cultural feeling of maternal instinct. Mm. It's the Medea effect. It's the that's exactly what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Medea. The fact that a woman, dead or alive, would willfully harm children. It's Myra Hindley. It's it's, it's very it's it, right or wrong. Although it's obviously all wrong, it's much more jarring. Yes, mm. exactly. That's my feeling. That's why I think it would be creepy. If it was like the father of this illegitimate child who had been haunting everything, I think it would be a more aggressive mm. and less subtle book film play. It would be more aggressive and also more expected. Uh, not expected in terms of the need for justification, but I think we are we are conditioned much as we want not to be being feminists and people on this podcast to see certain things like that like you say like mothers and fathers on slightly different Mm -hmm. planes almost Mm. and i think that does have an impact but i think i do think a male ghost could still have been scary but it wouldn't it would have lacked the subtlety Mm. that makes Mm. this a really great story alex what do you think as you posited the question yeah i mean I i suppose i didn't have an answer for it until we started talking about it i think definitely there would have been more perceived aggression from like a male figure and i think that's true not just for the woman in black i think it's like any ghost that we spoke about that's like male or female and if i think sometimes female ghosts are portrayed to be more unexpected they might do something that takes you by surprise whereas like a male ghost you know you go on those ghost tours and stuff and they talk about males and they're usually the poltergeists Mm -hmm. and the ones that kind of like push you or whatever and that's almost like if one pushes you obviously that would scare the shit out of you if something unseen pushed you but you're like okay that's a real real thing that's happened to me whereas i think with female ghosts it's like you're not sure what to expect with them Hmm. because their their lives have impacted them in a completely different way Hmm. and they might react in a completely different way Uh to how you might react as well women are more complex really basically Um, that's what we're saying is men will punch you women who the fuck knows knows? (laughs) i think also like weirdly just completely like less maybe insightful to what we're (laughs) talking about you know female ghosts are usually portrayed as victorian Mm -hmm. in lots of fabric Mm, and more visually striking yeah and i think there's there's, yeah yeah, there's something Mm. creepy about hearing a skirt drag on the floor and they're they're draped in so much fabric that you're not sure where the body is and where the fabric ends well, and all that stuff. you hear them before they come, like the rustling yeah, of skirts. exactly. So I think there's something in that as well, like the mm-hmm. visual aspect of seeing a shape that yeah. represents a female figure. Yeah, I completely agree. One other thing that I thought of whilst we were talking was, I think 
for the woman in black specifically the fact that the narrator is male and a father at the time in the book at the time that he's talking he's talking about being a father a father that has lost a child in the film he is talking about being a father of a child and he can't imagine anything happening to the child and he's a single father at the time in the film mm, as well yeah that's true and i think that contrast is very important to the yeah narrative. the mother father thing yeah i genuinely true. think that is a significant portion of what makes it spooky and I think that if you were going to have a male ghost, you would need to have a female protagonist to get the same level of weight. But I think that it would feel more like an attack mm, that, on yeah. a home rather than a malevolent force to be overcome, which I think is the difference. Like the woman in black as it is written feels like it could be anyone that walks into that situation and she would react the same way because she has a fixation on her issue. Similarly, if you'd had a female... Uh if Arthur Kipps had been a female character mm-hmm. and it had still been the woman in black it would have been a very different story I think mm. agreed yes it would have been almost a like woman's a woman's aggression like, on another woman, woman. and like actually stepmother. I think that could have been that scarier that would have been amazing and the idea you know the whole a man is scared of a thing how could that thing possibly be a woman if we're talking <laughs> yeah. about this as a Victorian story mm-hmm. this being set up or this is I think Edwardian in a like in a narrative style which is very archaic well not very archaic but 120 years old even if the book is only 40 years old I mean it's, <laughs> it's older than us <laughs> it's older than us but to have that dynamic where a woman is making a man afraid even if that woman is a ghost Mm. is also like you say it's quite refreshing and it we're not refreshing uh not like you know oh you know i'm gonna go and haunt some men when i die it's not used very much and it does create a different dynamic it makes it scarier if a man could be scared too mm. you get the insight into arthur kipp's fear which is something that you know the the narrative is and i i do not agree with this but this is what the patriarchy has built is that men are brave and they will fight off the monsters and when a man meets a monster he can't fight that is automatically going to create a monster who is a monster inverted commas who is scarier for your Mm -hmm. audience so we're going to pause there put our uh what's it they say in peep show put our big fat brains on ice (laughs) um and we'll come back after the break and talk some more about the woman in black and ghosts and specifically female ghosts in pop culture and literature So we're back from our break. We are just finishing off the dregs, uh, I think, of the Moonstruck. Uh, something de riff, wasn't Cabernet it? Cabernet de riff. De riff. Cabernet de riff. Sure. Uh, we have a second bottle, which uh, we'll see how much we get through before the end of the show, which is the uh, halfway Merlot. But before we get on to that, let's talk about how we found our drinks so far. So, Kim, what have you thought of the Moonstruck? I thought it was quite nice, but a little bit heady. Mm. Um, I've got a headache. Yeah, I haven't quite got a headache, but I definitely feel like I'm headache adjacent. Like it's very <laughs> spicy, very like it's very in your face. <laughs> it's very more woman in black film than woman in black book. Agreed. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lacks the subtlety. Yeah, it, la- yeah. it lacks subtlety and the richness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It lacks subtlety. It's very a Halloween stores version of what you think a potion would be. Yep. But that being said, it's not bad. Like I, well, I finished it more or less, so eminently quaffable, but a bit too much. Eminently quaffable sounds too high praise to me. You're probably right. 
Yeah. I'm feeling jolly, clearly. I'm feeling quite uh, acid refluxy after that bottle. Um, mm. It's not it's not my favourite Australian red, and I have many Australian reds that I like. So, so far, yeah, I've got... I've, I mean, the fact that we're on the second half and I still have some to go is mm. practically unheard of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's all right. I'd be interested to know how much it was. Uh, twelve ninety nine. Ooh, pricey. Yeah, yeah, the cost of it knocks it down a few notches for me because it's not a twelve ninety nine wine. No, agreed. I think it was twelve ninety nine. I'm dividing the pack I bought the the pack the box of wine I bought by three and around twelve ninety nine seemed right. Mm. Alex, you are now no longer drinking mm. your dandelion and burdock. No, I stopped drinking my dandelion and burdock. It was fine. It's just quite, yeah, it's quite licorice-y. Uh, and um, not LSED, but like the depth of licorice. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it was not a Victorian sweet shop of joy. It was a... Victorian sweet shop of horror? Not quite horror, like in between. Uh, a mediocre <laughs> Victorian sweet, <laughs> sweet shop. Uh, so I've moved on to some some fruit tea, <laughs> but I feel like that's quite fitting because it's we were talking about campfires and telling ghost stories. So some kind of hot brew would probably be my drink of choice in that situation. Fair mm. of non-alcoholic drinking, of course. Okay, so uh, we have a mixed bag on the first half. We have a second bottle of wine, as I said, for Kim and myself, uh, which is the Halfway Merlot off of South Africa. The reason I picked this, being called Halfway, was it was a reference to halfway between the world and ghosts mm-hmm. somehow having unfinished business sometimes. Um, on the Woman in Black, we've talked a bit about what makes it an enduring story that has transcended media, as we said, and the plot itself. Is there anything about the Woman in Black as a novel or a play or a film that you feel could have been expanded on within the story or do you think it was very concise type do you think it had everything it needed to be the ghost story that it is i am always interested in more about the side character of course you are (laughs) in a weird way the woman in black is a side character in the novel like she's both an antagonist and a side character her her origin story so to speak is thank you there is a woman in black too isn't there the film oh yeah is but there? i cannot i haven't seen it but i think it is like her origins oh god i think i don't know i haven't watched it so but i've heard terrible things i strike it from the canon <laughs> <laughs> it will go the same way as sex in the city movie too but i would be interested in a novel of the origin like i would have we touched on the fact that the novel itself is only about 200 pages long if the novel itself had been 400 pages long and a significant section of that had been a historical archive of what happened the woman in black just while you while we're talking about this is called jeanette humphrey jeanette right jeanette yeah of course it's jeanette if the novel had been 400 pages long and there had been a section within that was a historical like artifact that was about like her diary or some shit or a first-hand account of the scandal or anything like that the 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 records of the house at the time i think that would have been really interesting and i think that's down to susan hill's preferred way of writing rather than the lack of story and that's possibly her choice but i that's the that's the thing that i would have liked 
I feel like if you were doing it as a, as a, if you, she had written a, a prequel to this, and maybe she has written it in short story form, I, I don't know. But to write the prequel as a horror wouldn't work. You have to write the prequel as something else and then have mm. it turn into a horror for this story to be so impactful. Mm-hmm. Do you not think this, like, for yeah. it to be a romance that turns into a horror, great. Here for that. I'm here for lovers to enemies. Bring it on. <laughs> but you couldn't have two back-to-back horror stories with the same impact and i think that's probably why people had, did not yeah yeah did not like yeah the, the prequel would not be a horror no. mystery maybe hmm, possibly i anything i don't else? think it needs anything additional i think like you know we talk about the campfire ghost story or the art of storytelling and the fact that we said that pretty much every medium of the woman in black can be digested in two hours there's something quite the art of storytelling obviously has like a nice beginning, a middle and an end. And I think there's something so concise and fully formed within its story that it gives you everything that you want as a horror. And I think that's also why there's so much mystery that surrounds these like ghost women that we spoke about very kind of broadly is because you can kind of make up those little gaps and there's something quite nice about someone that's absorbing a story kind of filling in those gaps for themselves mm. and i actually i don't think i'd want the history i want i want to think up that stuff for myself and enjoy the kind of spectacle and the storytelling that involves the woman in black the gray lady the wailing woman like all these kind of like ghost women to demystify it is to kind of it is a detriment to the atmosphere and the mystery obviously because demystify and the suspense within a story and as we've talked about being able to fill in the gaps yourself Mm. is so much scarier Mm. than having everything gratuitously laid out in front of you so i think yes a 400 page novel with with letters and with diary entries and with everything would have been it would have made it more into a gothic novel than a horror novel yeah. to me or no, novella to me which w- i would also read and i think would be great but it wouldn't be, be the, the ghost story that we know it to be it wouldn't yeah. be as chilling yes as it is now yeah. but though in contrast to the real world like in the real world i personally love a ghost story that has a history mm. and i think that's the difference maybe between fiction and real world ghosts mm. i think that it makes a difference but with fictional ghosts i do think that there is an element of mystery that is required for that the difference between what is a gothic novel and a horror novel is those 200 pages i think almost or maybe it's just that it's particularly well written but that seems to me there's not a lot to add but that would be the only thing i'd choose to add yeah for me i think it was i don't think there was anything that needed to be added i don't feel like there was anything that was missing from the story it does a very very good job of being very concise whilst using a narrative technique in terms of setting this kind of victorian edwardian tone of voice which is famously very wordy and Mm. very detailed and I'm really impressed by the way Susan Hill has managed to balance those two things of like verbosity and conciseness, mm. which when I was re- reading it again uh, recently, I was like, this is actually really, this is really impressive. She's yeah. left, like, there's no wasted word here. Everything is, is impressive. And the stage show is fucking amazing. And you can just see why yeah. this is Due to like its subtlety as an well. incredible work of art. Yeah. Yeah. And to be scared, to be 
actually scared by something you see on a stage I did not think was possible until I saw There's so few horror players. Show. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That genre. So, before we wrap up tonight, do either of you believe in ghosts or are you willing to discuss that on the show? Um, I love me a ghost story. I love a horror film. My favourite horror films are ghost-based and I think it's because, probably because they are the, 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 creepy things i believe in the most so i don't necessarily believe in like aliens i don't necessarily believe in like zombies and vampires and obviously i believe in like murderers but um, (laughs) but in terms of like um supernatural horrors i love me a ghost story and it probably is because an element of me believes in them but at the same time and and also I would keep my light on at night, not because I think someone's going to break into my house, but because I think there might be a ghost living in it. So some part of me, obviously, deep down does believe in ghosts, but I believe more in atmospheres that have been left. So I always describe it as, you know, you walk into a room and someone's had an argument and you can sense that argument has happened due to the tension in the air, due to the atmosphere. You you walk into a house where someone's not had a happy life and you can sense that it's not a happy house. And so I, I believe that people's energy, it, to a certain extent, is left. Mm. And, and that is more what I believe in than the grey lady, than the wailing woman, than the headless horseman. I believe that there is some form of energy that is sometimes left within enclosed spaces um, and people can sometimes sense that. Mm. So that's kind of what I believe in more. Mm. That's fair. I think that's really well put. Kim? I emphatically believe in ghosts. (laughs) I have had ghost experiences. The place in which we all used to work, but actually you guys didn't work in both buildings. Both buildings were definitely haunted, as mm-hmm. far as fuck I'm concerned. Oh yeah, I didn't like to be there late. There were, I mean, I'm talking books flying off the shelves, mm-hmm. like yeah. ghostly figures walking across, through the stacks, weird smells, uh, lights turning off unexpectedly, feeling like you're being watched, hands, like, hands yeah. across hands the shadow of the appearing yeah. across the shadow, um, and then separately. In a, in a building that we moved to after you guys had both left mm. the company, um, there was, I was alone several times in a building in which one of the rooms used to be a morgue and there were significant strangeness mm-hmm. that happened there um, whilst I was alone. Most of the same stuff, but also admittedly it could have been I was overtired, but I was very convinced that I saw something um a woman classically of course a woman in (laughs) gray she (laughs) She was in fact a woman in gray but it also was a victorian morgue so what do you want Mm. from me Um, (laughs) floaty fabrics floaty fabrics (laughs) waft um so yeah i emphatically emphatically believe in ghosts i think that they i think that there is a membrane between our world and other worlds and i think that ghosts are a representation of that whether i believe necessarily that they are exclusively dead people or if they're another plane of existence 
What's your ghostly views, Samantha? I don't know. I want to say... Tish pshaw! What a load of nonsense! But also, uh, I have uh, a brain that won't let me do those things. So there have been things that I have seen that could quite easily be me overthinking and expecting to see something uh, or experience something. Or if you are a ghost person, they could be ghost things. So I don't know. I, I don't want to, but I do. And very finally, if you could haunt... If you came back as a ghost, if this is a thing, if you could choose where to haunt, what and potentially who would you haunt? Would you go for a a vindictive haunting where you could piss off someone (laughs) that annoyed you during your living time? Would you hang around a loved one just because you uh, wanted to annoy them for the amount of times they didn't wash up? What would you do? Would you do sexy pottery? (laughs) (laughs) I think, I don't know, I'd, I'd probably just go back to, like, I'd stay in a place that makes me really happy because if you have to stay there indefinitely and you get to choose and you get to choose then you just choose a location that makes you really happy because then forever you will be happy Barbados famous for its ghosts yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, unfortunately it's always like cold wet mountaintop like creaky houses that Kind of people apparently to choose to yeah. yeah if ghosts are just there to be miserable I'm not here for it yeah. I'm no no I'd choose somewhere happy but I haven't decided where that is yet okay. so Fair. somewhere some at some point in my life I will turn to both of you and I will say this is where I will haunt cool I don't know if I'm prepared for that mentally, <laughs> I'm looking forward yeah. to it it'll be great fun. and we will turn to your children and be like do you want to see your mum again she's in the spa <laughs> <laughs> I would like to haunt somewhere unexpected. Um, So I'm thinking like, (laughs) this makes me sound pervy and it's not what I meant, but like the changing rooms of a new look or I don't know, the the CAB or (laughs) somewhere where people are going for really, really mundane things. Like Costa. Costa is another one. <laughs> or when you go to get your passport renewed, that place. I'd just love to be there and be like... <sighs> People be like, you, you need to turn your central heating up. And I'm like... Mm, yeah. And then I'd steal their identity and sell it somehow on the ghost black market. That's my idea. Amazing. <laughs> You'd just be bored forever. Really no, because you, you could cause casual mischief. Like Just, no, just really subtle casual mischief. I don't have the energy to be a poltergeist. I don't have that <laughs> level of rage in me most of the time. So I just want to do like minorly inconvenient things. That's okay. what I'd like to be as a ghost. <laughs> Well, I'm living my high life in Barcelona in a spa. You're in fucking New York. You're you're like clinging onto a jet with your wisp flapping in the breeze. And I'm like at the DVLA. I was going to say you should be haunting Contesting parking fines. A tube ticket station. Just like fucking people up. Yeah, like left, yeah. right, and centre. Exactly. Anywhere where there is bureaucracy, I would say. <laughs> so basically, when people like scan their oyster card and it just goes boop boop, it's that's just like me. that Sam with a ha- ghostly hand I over w- the sensor. I will be the ghost equivalent of unexpected item in the bagging area. <laughs> that's my goal. Okay, Kim. Sorry. Oh, mine's so much significantly less interesting and funny, but probably more profound. Oh no, I'm gonna haunt a library. Don't care what library, any library. <laughs> The lols, the lols to be ensued. A, books, can read mm-hmm. them from the mm-hmm. shoulder. B, libraries are inhen- 
inherently like vaguely mystery spooky mm-hmm. like they have that kind of atmosphere they're just dead trees wrapped in cows and you just get to like <laughs> fuck with people especially if you manifest poltergeist um abilities so you can move shit around like the amount of fun i would have reorganizing bookshelves in the afterlife i think we've got a very different <laughs> sense of fun <laughs> So that brings us to the end of the show this week. But before we go, we have some drinks to rate. Well, at least Kim and I do. Alex has um, basically water with flavouring. Yeah. (laughs) That deserves no grapes. Carry on. (laughs) Okay, so we're not going to talk about the tea or the burdock. No one wants to hear about that. We're going to gloss over that. And we're going to talk about the uh, Moonstruck Cabernet Duif. Uh, and very, very briefly about the second wine that we have barely touched because it's dog shit. So, um... <laughs> spoilers. Spoilers. Sorry, guys. Uh, you've been holding on to this point for the suspense, I'm sure. So, Kim, the uh, Moonstruck thoughts? Yeah, it was very nice. It wasn't, like, exceptional. It wasn't set my favourite. But if someone appeared at my house with it, then I would be mad. But for twelve ninety nine, I thought that it was frankly overpriced. Um, so I'm giving it a three mm-hmm. because I think that it is a good wine. It's it was a little bit heady for me, but actually, I've had much stronger flavouring for much cheaper wine, and it didn't taste cheap. It it tasted like that. That was quite intentional. So I think that um, I'm going to give it a three grapes. Cool, three. That seems fair. I would probably go. I would go for the same. For the reasons that you said, I think it was overpriced. I don't think it was particularly rich or... (laughs) This is not an adjective that I think they use on many tasting notes, but I think goblety. (laughs) (laughs) If you sit swilling in a goblet because it's rich and thick, it wasn't one of those. um, But it was fine. Three out of ten, King Arthur would not drink. (laughs) Quite, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll go with you. I'll go with the three. I would have it again if it were over a a longer period of time. (laughs) possibly and cost less money and then the other one yes maybe with food that would work and then the other one was the halfway mellow i hated it it's gash oh really yeah it's really not good no it's really bad it's not the worst wine we've had on this podcast but it's not good no no. i i made a terrible joke in our um group chat about how i was trying to be more open-minded about mellow so i tried to be more Melopen-minded. Yeah. And this has, frankly... McClosed your mind. <laughs> my mind. <laughs> oh. Mer- me out. It's a no from me. Merlot, no, she better don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Merlot. It's a Merlot. It's a Merlot. It's a no from me. How many grapes? Mm. I'm drinking it, so like... 1.5? Mm. Yeah, it's low. It's low down. It's bad. It's low down. It's not great. Would not recommend one grape yeah one yeah how did both of them pair with the subject of ghosts well they're tangible so you know yeah (laughs) um as mentioned previously i thought the first one the moonstruck went well with the flashness of the film Mm -hmm. but not necessarily with the subtleness of um the book or the stage play the gash (laughs) merlot Matches not at all. Again, it's called the halfway mellow, but we call it the gash. Yep. <laughs> uh, it matches in the same way that uh, I would drink this again with the same 
delight with which I would approach a haunted house to stay mm. for the night. Okay. Yeah. I'd probably drink the mellow over the haunted house, but it would be a very... It, there would be consideration in it that. Oh, God. Yeah. The Merlot matches the topic like the film matches the rest of the... <laughs> the Merlot is to topic as film is to book. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, we will be talking about the woman in black but we will be talking about it as kind of a whole idea rather than the individual film book uh, stage show radio play so as a story i suppose so kim what would you give the woman in black as a story i would give it four stars i think Mm. that the uh longevity of the story the versatility of the story despite the fact that it's had some questionable interpretations Mm. like i just think it's fascinating it is one of a select amount of books that has really stayed with me stories that has really stayed with me i think about it all the time it's been two years since i've actively like delved into it and i can still remember so many integral points of the plot and i think that's quite significant so four grapes Albert? yeah i think maybe four as well i think i did read the book a really long time ago and i have seen the film but the stage show i think there's just such an art Mm. to as you say make something that is real like something that is like unfolding in front of you like scary Mm -hmm. and the fear that you have watching this play and all that it is is just a few tricks and a few actors i just think that's so magical so incredible um and just something to be commended and uh yeah so i think i agree i think four grapes for the whole conglomerate but the majority going towards the play for me. Yeah, mm. sure. Yeah, I I will go 4.5 because it is a ghost story that I will read over and over again, which is not something that I do very much. The stage show, when I first saw it, blew my mind, but I was 16. So, you know, my mind was very easily blown. Speak to my exes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, was, it showed me a level of theatre that I didn't really, I'd never seen before and I didn't, understand and even now seeing it years on after having studied drama and acting and theatre production for so long I'm like it's still so good and the novel having read it three days ago I'm like I'm still scared um (laughs) are the lights on tonight yes the novel is shit your pants yeah Yeah, the novel like I fully the bit in the nursery I just skimmed because I was like I can't like I say I've read it a couple of times and I the first time I read it was in the shared house and I was I wanted to keep the lights on. My brother in law was like, No and I was like, Yeah, but I'm gonna die. Okay, you well you're gonna have to hold me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it manages to be scary in a way that a lot of other things I've read haven't been yeah. for as long. Mm. So I'm giving four point five pretty much just for the stage show mm. and the novel. I think that's really fair. So we're at the end of the show this week, but don't forget to follow us on social media if you aren't already. We are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod, or we're on our website, which is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. And we'll be back in sort of a month's time-ish with a brand new episode for you. But in the meantime, please check us out. Please leave us some comments and reviews and let us know what you think. But thank you for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.